you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And this morning we want to look at, uh, continue our series on marks of the church. Uh, we'll be looking at the mark of truth. As uh, we go back and look at the subject given to us in verse 17. Uh, those of you that were here last Sunday uh, remember that we did talk about it, but we really kind of skipped over it in a way to get to verse 18, which was more uh, the mark of missions, since we had a missionary here, and I thought that was a, an appropriate time to uh, uh, put that emphasis there, but we're going to go back to verse 17, we're going to skip 18 and go to 19, so uh, we're kind of still in the same neighborhood anyway. In uh, verse 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And the idea is also given to us in verse 19, where it says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, and they also might be sanctified through the, tr- the truth. Now, we're looking at really uh, the first point this morning, and then we're going to finish uh, points two and three this evening. And it's like I said earlier, then, if you want to get the whole message, then you need to come back this evening. Uh, but I want you to notice, first of all, this idea of sanctification. Sanctification. Some would say that it's just another theological term that really has little importance in real life. Others would suggest that it's a secondary experience in the Christian life that is somewhat optional, though it is beneficial. Uh, Still others have the idea that it's part of some mysterious aspect of the Christian life, and what is sanctification all about? Uh, Is it important for us to understand its meaning and its dimensions? Uh, Does sanctification really affect us in the nitty-gritty of life? Well, the heart of this section of our Lord's high priestly prayer involves our sanctification. And actually, each mark, as we're looking at the marks of the church, that is the local church, the body of believers in this location, these should be marks of our church. The first one was, you forgot already, joy. And I think some of you need to remember this one. It's not showing, but joy was the first one. Uh, And then we talked about, secondly, holiness. Oh, that's an important one as well. And then last week we looked at mission, and today we want to look at truth. Actually, each mark describes an aspect of sanctification. Sanctification is linked with joy. Sanctification is linked to holiness. Sanctification is linked with mission, and today we're going to see how sanctification is linked with truth. And the whole issue of truth is shown to be much more than just affecting our mental perception. Truth is stated as the great means of sanctification. Now, we've been studying how Jesus has been praying for his disciples here, and he, and by extension, he is praying for us. In this prayer, we find the whole of the Christian life uh, encapsulated. We find that Jesus glorified the Father in his death and resurrection, so that those, that those 
uh, at enmity with God might be brought into a living, dynamic relationship with Him. It was on the basis of the work of Christ, not the work of the sinner, that this new relationship has been, has been given. Uh, the Godhead took the initiative in giving eternal life to those whom Christ died. Every believer is now assured that he is kept by the power of God, for Jesus loses none of those that he redeems. And in light of this, the redeemed of the Lord are to live distinctly as God's children in this world. And there are particular marks, characteristics, that identify the redeemed or which characterize their lives. These marks, in effect, are evidences of sanctification, joy, holiness, mission, truth. We're going to look at unity, hope, and love at a later date, the Lord willing. But perhaps you, as as I've heard people talk about the experience of sanctification, as though it was some uh, similar to experiencing being saved. Well, these people are separating the act of being saved and then later saying, well, there's an act of sanctification. First you're saved and then you become sanctified later. And so in their minds, and many years could pass be, from beginning of the person's Christian life to the time when he's sanctified. And then some never quite made it to the experience of sanctification. And quite a few of those who hold this view equate sanctification with perfection. We're not talking about perfection here. Did you know that you will never be perfect in this world until Jesus comes and takes you to be with him? You're never going to reach perfection. And so we're not talking about perfection here. We're, sanctification uh, is not perfection. If you were sanctified, then you would be made perfect. Some have misconceptions about sanctification. And one of Satan's shrewdest devices is to bring confusion to this vital truth so that many will fail to investigate due to their fear of confusion. And so we want to shatter the confusion about sanctification in our study of God's Word this morning. Every believer is being sanctified Sanctification should never be thought of as an experience reserved for just a few, but it's the state and the progression of the whole body of Christ. It is not perfection, that, but the process begun at regeneration and justification that carries us to the day of perfection in glorification. If you're not being sanctified, it's because you've never been born of God. But if you're born of God you can be assured that you are being sanctified. Nothing is more important in relationship to your mission and the purpose, the mission and purpose of our church than getting a hold and grasping this matter of sanctification. What is taking place in sanctification? How do we cooperate in sanctification? How is truth related to sanctification? Well, that's what we're looking at here this morning. And we're just looking at, first of all, the meaning, the meaning of sanctification. Jesus prayed here, sanctify them through thy truth. The word sanctify has its root in the word holy. It's a common uh, term throughout the New Testament. We also see it as used in the Old Testament as well. 
In the Old Testament, we find that certain things, certain people were sanctified. Uh, they were holy to the Lord. And the articles in the tabernacle were sanctified. You ever study the, the tabernacle from the Old Testament uh, and think about all the different parts of the tabernacle and the different articles there? They were sanctified. The sacrifices were sanctified. The priests th- themselves were sanctified. Uh, to describe a vessel as holy and then a man as holy, using the same term, tells us something very significant about this whole idea of sanctification. Now, the word has Two basic meanings, both of which are implied here in our text. It means, uh, first, separation from common use, or a separation from the unholy. That carries the idea of an item or a person being withdrawn from use by the world and or being uh, by, uh, by the unconsecrated, use by the unconsecrated. You may recall the incident of Belshazzar of Babylon, using the gold and silver vessels from the temple for his drunken party. He used that which was holy for an unholy purpose. He used it for the praising of other gods, And judgment struck him immediately as he, as an unholy man, dared to use that which was holy for a profane purpose. Now, the second meaning is more positive. To be sanctified or to be holy is to be set apart unto the Lord. The first was being separated from the world or the unholy, the unconsecrated. Here, the meaning is to be separated unto the Lord. That which is uh, holy is not just withdrawn from the profane use, but it's used distinctly for the Lord. Its purpose uh, is to glorify God alone. And so the high priest in the Old Testament had inscribed in his headdress a gold plate with the words, Holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Uh, it was a constant reminder that this man was to be involved in holy duties. That all his hands, that his hands touch, all the acts that he did were to bring glory to God. It reminded him of how he was to live, how he was to act, how he was to think every day as one set apart to the Lord. Now, think of these two basic meanings of as our Lord prayed. Think about that as he prayed. Sanctify them through thy truth. Separate them from and separate them unto. Okay? He prayed for our separation from the world and our being set apart unto the Lord for his glory. That's really the whole of Christian life right there in just a few words. We have been delivered from the world and the devil, having been separated from them through the death of Christ. We have also been set apart to belong exclusively to the Lord, so that you and I can say, I am his and he is mine. Now let's consider how sanctification is related to the most important aspects of the Christian life. Notice, first of all, its relationship. 
It's a relation to justification. Now we know there's a difference between the definition of justification and the definition of sanctification. And yet both of these terms are intricately interwoven. As far as distinctions, justification is really a legal term. It has to do with the whole matter of righteousness of God. Uh, We need to be justified. We need to be declared legally righteous because we have no righteousness to commend ourselves to God, nor do we satisfy the demands of his justice. You know, just as Adam's sin was imputed to us, Every man is born, every woman, every boy, every girl is born with a sin nature because of Adam and Eve's sin, the fall of of man. And just as Adam's sin was imputed to us, so is Christ's righteousness imputed to us when we trust Christ as our Savior and we become one of the redeemed. His righteousness in fulfilling the law becomes our righteousness, so that in God's eyes, we have fulfilled the law. That's the active righteousness of Christ. His righteousness on the cross in satisfying God's just demand of wrath towards sinners was substitutionary, so that the divine wrath has been assuaged through Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now that's the passive righteousness of Christ. And now through Christ, we have been declared righteous before God as if we are as righteous as his son. Now, the question we must ask is whether or not Jesus Christ justified us only to forgive our sins. Now, many people have that concept in the saving work of Christ. They breathe a sigh of relief and they say, whew, I've been forgiven. And then they go on sinning. And they have no regard to a relationship with Christ. Now, indeed, God or Christ does forgive our sins through the shedding of his blood, but it's more than that. He brings us who are at enmity with God into a relationship as sons and daughters of God. And John tells us that not only did Jesus come to forgive, but he was manifested to take away our sins. We are adopted into God's family, now a part of his eternal kingdom. We are in a new relationship with God. We are to live wholly unto the glory of God. We have been saved for his glory, and we're to live in such a way that we bring continual glory to his name and wonder and the wonder of his grace. And our whole relationship to sin in this world has been changed. We cannot live the same as we used to live. Now, sanctification assures us of this. Now, how can that happen? Well, this is where sanctification is interwoven into the marvelous connection with justification. And let me just uh, simplify it, if I can. While justification deals with our legal standing before God, sanctification addresses our relationship and enjoyment of God. Justification declares us righteous. Sanctification makes us holy. Justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is an ongoing, progressive work. Sanctification involves our in, an imputed righteousness. Sanctification involves an imparted holiness. 
In justification, we're, we are made to stand. In, just, in sanctification, we are made to walk. Justification delivers us from the penalty of sin and its guilt. Sanctification delivers us from the power of sin and its pollution. I hope you can see the difference here or the connection between these two. It's important. You actually cannot separate these two works of God. Uh, We are sanctified. We are set apart by the Lord so the work of Christ might be applied to us. We are justified so that we might go on in holiness before the Lord. Paul expresses it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses uh, 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 6, verses 9 through 11. And he describes the type of sinners that were common in Corinth. And he says this, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice, in this case, he mentions sanctification before he mentions justification. Peter does the same thing in his epistle, uh, his first epistle. He writes to those elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And again, I want you to notice the order he gives, the clarifying word that we are sanctified unto obedience, which shows a very distinct reason for the sanctifying work. There's another occasion where this order is reversed. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. Now, equivalent to justification in this sense. And redemption. The same order is seen in Titus 3, 4 through 8, when Paul speaks of being justified by his grace, and then he adds that they which are, have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And he points to the practice of sanctification. And I think much damage has been done in some Christian circles by those who press too hard at the separating of these two works. You cannot have one without the other. Because that's really the emphasis throughout, as I've given to you these verses of Scripture and the epistles, you always have one, you have the other. You can't separate them. You see, that would fly in the face of those who say you can be justified, but then perhaps you can decide to be sanctified or dedicated to the Lord later. See, that's not biblical Christianity. It really pulls the rug out from out any argument so that so-called non-lordship proponents of salvation make, for when justification occurs, you're to be sure that sanctification is at work as well. So the meaning of these two terms is distinct, but the actual work is vitally connected. In justification, you have the work of Christ alone on behalf of the sinner. In sanctification, you have the work of the Holy Spirit applied to the believer so that it affects his whole attitude, his whole behavior, his whole practice. The believer becomes involved in sanctification by his practice in his Christian life, but only because he's been justified through righteousness of Christ on his behalf, and only because the Holy Spirit is sanctifying him on his inner being. Now, I know this can be heavy stuff, right? But I hope my explanation of it has given you some idea of what it really means. 
So we talk about the relation to justification. Secondly, a relation to the whole Christian life. And we find here, we need to keep in mind the context. When have you heard that before? We need to keep in mind the context of our text. Jesus has just pointed out that the disciples do not belong to the world, just as he himself did not belong to the world. And he asked the Father not to take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Now he prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctification is chiefly concerned with how we live as Christians while still remaining in the midst of a very sinful, rebellious world. And this is where you begin to see the glory of God manifested in his people. He did not save us just so that we could one day go to heaven. If he saved us to go to heaven, he would have taken us right away. He didn't save you just to take you to heaven. He saved you to do a work, his work, here on this earth. That we might conform to the image of his son and we might be mani- he might be man- made manifest through each one of us. We know that in justification our standing before God is right. We also know that we have sin in our lives. What's the Bible say? He that says he hath no sin is a what? A liar. So admit it. We're not perfect in our practice. Our position is fine. Sometimes our practice is very weak. And though we have have a renewed nature through regeneration, we still fight the battles. The battles of patterns and habits of the past. Our minds have traces of the old man. We battle with the flesh. We have a tendency towards sin, but there is something radically different about us, something within our minds, our hearts has powerfully affected our whole attitude towards sin. And our desire for the things of God and the glory of God is completely different. It's because we've been sanctified and we've been, we are being sanctified. Now, we have a position of sanctification or holiness before the Lord. That is inherent in our salvation. You belong to the Lord. If you know Christ, if you have a relationship with with God through Jesus Christ, you belong to God. You've been set apart for Him. That's why you are called saints. We're going to talk about that this evening. You're called saints in the New Testament, even at Corinth, where their practice was Uh, had not caught up with their position. Believers were still called saints. You're his sheep for whom Jesus laid down his life. And by the constant work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, you're being brought more and more into the practice of holiness through your daily walk. Now, this obviously has both negative and positive characteristics. It's unfortunate that most people will view holiness or sanctification only in the terms of negative. What you're not doing. Well, I'm not stealing money. I'm not murdering people. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Do you refrain from the practice of sin? If you do, praise God. 
Flee also youthful lust, the Bible tells us. Abstain from all appearance of evil, the Bible tells us. Walk circumspectly, the Bible tells us. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We must not hesitate to look at our lives and ask some hard question. Am I engaging in habitual sin? Do I keep giving myself into areas of sin? Do I go places or engage in certain behavior that leads me to sin? Then, from a negative perspective, I must stop. I must draw the line on my behavior and my practices for the sake of the Lord. I must say no to sin. Now, Christian living involves examination. We must not take for granted that we are always going to do right before the Lord. We must not compare ourselves to one another but we compare ourselves to our example, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray with the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. You take time to examine yourself in the light of God's word and his standards. Listen, one reason we make so little impact in this world is because we make because too much of the world is in us. The world sees too little of Christ in our lives. But sanctification has a positive aspect as well. When our Lord prayed, sanctify them through thy truth, he was not just praying about our having strength to turn away from sin. He's also praying that we might be enabled by the work of the Spirit and the application of the truth of God's Word to be strong in the Lord, to grow in the Lord, to serve the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to glorify the Lord. Oh, I could go on and on and on from there. As it's been expressed clearly, our main concern should not be so much to limit the power of evil as to increase the power of godliness. And then there will be an illustration, there is an illustration that I believe will be helpful in understanding what the Lord was praying for us. The gospel is, pro, is not primarily concerned to remove the sores of infection, but to put us out of danger of infection. Nobody likes to have infection invade their body. But the gospel does is builds up our resistance to infection as a point that renders us immune to it. We should not be just trying to destroy infection. We should be building up the strength to be immune from the infection. Until our Lord returns, the infection's always going to be there. Until Satan is cast into the lake of the burning fire, the infection will continue. You cannot stop it. The Christian is not primarily to be concerned about that. The business of a Christian and this church and the gospel is to see that you and I take so much of the pure milk of God's word and the strong meat of the word that our resistance is built up to such an extent that we can, as it were, stay in the house of infectious disease and be absolutely immune. The germs are all around us. 
But we are so filled with antibodies that destroy them the moment they attack us because we're in the word and we're being sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is always going to act like the world, but we must make sure as believers we do not act like the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The work of sanctification continues to purge the things of the world from us and continues to apply the life of Christ to us. And so you should be growing in your hatred of sin and your love for godliness. Listen, we must not be negligent in our holy pursuit. Sometimes we might get weary. You might think, I get so tired of fighting against sin. I get so tired of fighting against this world and all the, the input of the world to me. And we get weary and so we say, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Get in the book. This will cause you to be immune from the sins of the world. If you so fill your heart, your mind, your life with the Word of God. Yes, the sin's always going to be there. The germs are always going to be there. But you won't be infected because you have the great physician at work in your life through the Word of God. Notice thirdly then, its relationship to eternity. We must keep in mind that the Lord was preparing the disciples to be with him for all of eternity. Uh, They would tread upon this earth a few more years and they would move on to the glories of perfection before him, beholding Christ in all his resplendent glory. And his prayer says there, sanctify them through thy truth. And that prepares them, and that prepares you and me as believers for eternity. I'm amazed at the number of people who have no delight in worship. No interest in prayer. No love for the word. And no enjoyment of being in the fellowship of the, of the believers. And yet they expect to be in heaven. What do you think heaven's going to be? Heaven is going to be all about worshiping God. It's going to be all about a love for the word, enjoyment of being with God's people. I think these people who have no delight in these things, if they make it, they're going to be miserable. You can be assured that those who will one day be in heaven are fitted with heaven in their hearts for this, in this life. You see, again, that's the work of sanctification. We are being introduced to the eternal delights of holiness of purity, of joy, of love, of unity, in which we have a constant experience, will be our constant experience in in heaven. Now, if you have no interest in these things now, maybe it's because you've never known Christ by the way of salvation. And you must be awakened to this reality. You need to be saved. You're not going to heaven, by the way, if you're not saved. You're not going to enjoy the glories of heaven. I believe we would all agree that heaven is a place where we have an open, liberated relationship with God. 
There will be no hindrances internally or externally. Uh, we'll see him as he is. Uh, we will commune with him and serve him with a perfect motivation. Does Christ save us and then put us kind of in a holding pattern? You know, you just we're just kind of out here floating around until we get to heaven? Certainly not. He saves us and then he begins to put the joys and the delights of eternity in our hearts so that we'll be prepared for heaven. That's why Paul would pray for the Ephesian believers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I urge you to go back to Ephesians 1 and 17 through 19 and meditate on that uh, in the near future here. Maybe when you get home. There's no casual Christianity in that prayer. It's an unfolding of the glories of knowing Christ, the same kind of glories that are going to be ours without measure in heaven. Sanctification gets us ready for heaven. We're also directed through the work of the sanctification to live as citizens of another kingdom. Jesus praying for his disciples to live clearly as believers in the midst of an unbelieving world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So they were to live like it. Paul gives us the same idea. He tells us that our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven in Philippians 3.20. And then goes on in that same epistle of the Philippians and essentially says, if your citizenship's in heaven, then live like it. You see, that's what's happening in sanctification. We're being separated from the world, set apart unto the Lord, and so we can live as those who belong to a heavenly realm. Now, Understand, I'm not suggesting that we act as though we don't care about this world. We say, I'm not, I'm not of this world. This, I'm not a citizen of this world. They can just go if they want. No, I'm not saying that. We will have a greater care for the people of this world if we live through our, as though our citizenship is in heaven. Our desire to see others with us in heaven before the throne of God. Some of you have unsaved loved ones, children, grandchildren, uncles, aunts. Is it not your desire to see them in heaven with you? I'm not suggesting that we just say they can just go to hell. Nor am I suggesting that we live like a bunch of oddballs who cannot carry on a normal conversation or function in society. That's the realm of monasticism. That's not biblical Christianity. And so our Lord plants his kingdom people right in the middle of the kingdom of darkness so that our lives, our lips, might declare the radiant light of the gospel and serve as a testimony for the glory of God's grace. 
In sanctification, God worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. He's doing that in this world right in the midst of all the activities of life. He so affects our desires that we seek to labor for his glory in the Christian life. I wonder if we understand that sanctification means we will seek to know him because he gives us such a desire. We will seek to obey him because he's planted that desire in us in the new nature. We will seek to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ in all of our behavior because he gives us satisfaction with nothing less than being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. The same God who justifies us is still working every moment in our lives to sanctify us in our thoughts, our behavior, our speech, and our deeds. And while justification was his solitary work with no contribution from us, sanctification is a different issue. Yes, he sanctifies us. He uses our study of the word of God, our meditation upon the word, our examination of ourselves in light of the word, our application of the truth of the word in our, to our daily lives to progress us in our sanctification. There's no room for laziness or undisciplined uh, uh, lives when it comes to sanctification. Now, tonight, the Lord willing, we'll look at the certainty of sanctification due to the prayer of Christ for us and his provision, which he speaks to us in verse 19. And then we'll consider the means of sanctification that our Lord prays about when he says, sanctify them through thy truth. And we're going to look at this truth and seek to understand what Christ means by that prayer. And so I encourage you, I invite you, I hope that you'll join us this evening. Meanwhile, let's give some thought to our sanctification. Are you making progress in that area? Is there evidence that you're being sanctified? Remember, this is an evidence, a mark of a true Christian? Are you living like one who belongs to another kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord? Do you live with the consciousness that your citizenship is in heaven? We're not interested in a nominal or typical Christianity. Our desire is that we might live as those who have put Jesus Christ, we've put on Jesus Christ and made no provision for the flesh. So let's set our hearts to walk this walk with Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you.